Hey, Ayer. Hey, Liam. How are you doing? Good. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing all right. Do you have headphones at all? Uh, yeah, let me look for them. And uh... Yeah, that's much better. It just cleans up the audio a lot. Cool. Cool. That's great. Okay. <laughs> Here I am. What was that behind you when you got up? I saw a painting that was absolutely gorgeous, a little one. Uh, uh, is that one of yours? Yeah, I, I've been working out in uh, in in some in some paintings. Uh, I recently I've been going out like really early in the morning and paint uh, around the neighborhood. It's a very personal pro uh, project. I started like three months ago and I wanted like a lot of night scenes of my neighborhood but since it's a little a little sketchy uh, I decided on going in the mornings like 5 a.m. Like before the sun's up. Yeah 4 a.m. It's a little bit different but I try to focus mm -hmm. on the sunrise a little yeah. bit more. I mean you were doing that maybe not that early maybe not before the sun was up but I remember when we were painting together out in Pennsylvania, like yeah. I thought I was working my ass off. I, in nine weeks, I made something like 75 paintings. So it was probably one of the most productive periods of my life. But I would yeah. remember I would be waking up and I would be sitting on the porch with my coffee and you would be biking home from your like morning <laughs> session. It just like you would get up before any of us and then like bike two miles with a French easel on your back and then paint and then bike two miles back and you would get in around when the rest of us were like getting breakfast and getting ready to start the day with a finished painting. Yeah, I, I remember me and Avi, we always met at the at breakfast and we we used to talk, we were, we were really, uh, not not serious. I, I don't know the, the the precise word, but we are like more quiet and more introvert. Mm -hmm. Those were nice breakfasts we had, and we sometimes we yeah, we shared that time, which was uh, pretty cool because no one was awake, and I don't know. You have uh, time for yourself, a time to think, and I don't know uh even though i some even though sometimes i sleep a little bit late because of work or something like it i just prefer to, to wake up really early do my stuff and get things done do you feel like you're more creative in that time frame like if you start with a painting first thing in the morning do you feel like it goes better than if you like hang out for a morning, get a slow start, and then maybe in the afternoon go and make a painting? Uh, yeah, but it, it depends truly on the, on the project uh, that I am working on and on, on my current mood. I don't know how to, to explain it like really well, but uh, sometimes I, I do really well at night. I don't know what, what happens, but uh, there are Oh, there, there is, there are mornings in which I am really productive, and I just crank 
things. I just do things. And there are mornings which are not really great. Like mm -hmm. I'm like the slowest person of all. But uh, I don't know, for me, it's, for me, the most important thing is like being there and solving things or trying to solve things, even if they don't work out. Uh, if you keep trying that it will like eventually it will you will make it work out or if it doesn't work out you will change your ways so you can make something out of it well let's talk about that let's talk about the current project so you're painting your own neighborhood your own yeah. immediate surroundings which i mean uh, it's really unfair as a person who just like lives in an American city to like look at your Mexican beach scenes and then have you go, oh yeah, oh, yeah I'm just painting my own neighborhood. Like, <laughs> it's, let's be clear, it's not like your neighborhood is just, like your neighborhood is gorgeous or your environment is gorgeous. Yeah, uh, but, but I mean, when, when I was in Mount Gretna, there was a lot of very, very, very uh, beautiful places. Mm -hmm. The thing is that you get used to those places and yeah, maybe you are yeah, for sure. and, and, and you, you like see them very, very often. Uh, so well, I uh, think maybe that's the case for painting, right? Or at least painting your landscape is because you can't get used to it, you know? Because um, yeah. as much as I just made that joke like three seconds ago and now I sound like a hypocrite, um, like I'm constantly amazed by just how beautiful Philadelphia can be and Philadelphia is not a place that has a reputation for being beautiful um, <laughs> yeah. but because I paint it I have to look at it that way and when I go out to there's this neighborhood called Maniunk where I paint a lot and teach painting workshops and it's just I feel like I'm in it doesn't feel like oh here's just more American city. It's like there's these very narrow streets and these old stone homes. And I feel like mm -hmm. I'm in Europe or something. And I think that because of the fact that I'm painting out there, I like, I have to look at, oh, this isn't just like a hill that I walk up. It's like, this is the way the space mu moves beautifully to and from me, you know? And I think maybe that that's sort of the case for painting is like when you talk about I'm seeing your neighborhood through your paintings and calling it beautiful maybe it's mm. not that beautiful maybe if I went there there's like oh there's trash on the beach and stuff and that's what I see but I think us painters um, always have at least a calling to look for that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right now, uh, I went back to the to the city, and I am living in a in the same space in which I had my teenage years. Mm -hmm. And it's really weird because I have all these memories like coming out of nowhere, and just from experiencing the space. I don't know how to explain mm -hmm. it like better. <laughs> I'm trying my best, but uh, I don't know like what. Like being in all these places, I, I get to 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 uh, to remember, and it has been like um, like an exploration 
of my inner self or like my inner memories through the space. It's been really weird, but nice. I've been trying to, to be the most like honest. Right now I am struggling a little bit. Like I, I think things are getting like very monotonous and repetitive, but uh, I don't know. I, I think I, I, I will solve things differently or I will try to, to solve things differently. Um, but uh, it, it's been, it's been like great to, to develop this project. It's been uh, in some moments like really com confusing too, because it's just a project that I am doing for myself. No one is, uh, no one has bought any piece or no one has supported like my project. It's just like trying to understand my inner desires. <laughs> and right now I've been a little bit more uh, slower. Like I started and everything went rolling very fast, but right now I have like 10 pieces I haven't finished yet. Uh, and I don't know how to finish them. I just feel they are unsolved. Like mm -hmm. they, they don't produce me that excitement. Uh, so yeah. when when you get to that place, what do you do? Do you uh, put them up on the wall and like wait for an idea, or do you work on them anyways and see if something happens? Like if you have a piece and it's you're working on this painting and you bring it back into the studio and it's just not working for you, what do you do with it? Um, and how do you make it do something? Or do you just not? And do you put it away and say, well, that one didn't work. I'm going to go do another one now. How, how this project ha has worked This project, is, but also just in general. Just in general, uh, I try to go to the place, paint as, uh, as, long as, I, as long as it takes, like as long as I want, as long as I feel like to. Mm -hmm and then take my easel back home, either if I am walking, going to in the car or something. And uh, I take everything away from my bag. I wash my brushes and then I try to see a little bit the, the piece, like all the things that I like, all the things that I don't. I try to, to, to focus a little bit more on the design, on, on the abstract design of the, on, of the, of the shapes and mm -hmm. the colors and the textures that I am working with. And I don't know, I, I tried to, 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 to make it feel uh, harmonious. Is that the word? Yeah, that's the word. I, I tried to make them feel like I want to be there or that I have been there. I don't know how to explain it. I, I want, the, the places that I paint to feel as if you can be there. Even if the light conditions or even if the colors are off or odd, uh, I want it to feel as real as possible as an experience, not as a realistic painting. 
but as an experience of uh, of the place or of the moment or of the experience of the place and the moment. That's one of the things that's always struck me about your work, even in sort of like the portrait commissions you do. Um, those there's like a very specific like characterization of the person so that even if you're not painting them quote unquote realistically in the 19th century sense you still get like oh i i know exactly who that person is and you've painted me and you've painted some of our mutual friends and i see those paintings and i'm like oh that's so and so oh that's me you know and um, I think that you do that with the place too. You kind of like make a caricature of the place, not in like a demeaning sense, in a very positive sense where like you boil down just the essential things about the place and put those in and then you leave out everything else, which I always find really awesome because I tend to get bogged down and like oh oh this foliage I need to paint <laughs> the foliage so that you can see it's a tree in the form and stuff like that and it's like sometimes it's just a shape yeah and sometimes it's for, for the spectator or sometimes for the people who is observing the painting it's more exciting to to uh to figure out what is it that you painted mm -hmm. I don't know in the in Alfred Hitchcock like um, movies, you you never see like the the full people like the complete scene of the dead people. You just mm -hmm. knew by the you see like narrative. the silhouette of the stabbing through the curtain, and then you go, yeah. oh yeah, she got killed. But you don't see all the gore and graphicness of it. He lets you fill in the blanks yourself. Yeah, for me that also happens in painting through the shapes and through the abstract narrative of the things that you're discovering when you observe things. I think mm -hmm. that's a really important thing because uh, you, you, sometimes I think you, you want to be clever enough to, to say like, oh, aha, I know what it is. And sometimes if you tell it, like as a painter, if you tell everything, the, the spectator won't get that aha moment. and Maybe that's also some some uh, maybe that's also a, like a like an emotion you want to to the people to get like the, the aha moment of getting things figured out. I don't know. It's just <laughs> like, like a guess or something. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's exciting for me. I like when when I am like observing a painting. I take. It, five, 10, 20 minutes, like watching the painting and I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a figure or that's a hand or that's, you're like amazing. And you, I don't know, like watching Bonard, it's that Bonard made mm -hmm. that happen a lot. I remember compositions. we were in that, um, well, it was a Zoom lecture, but we were both in it. We were that Aubrey Leventhal lecture at Madretna yeah. and she showed that Bonard, and she pointed out the figure and everyone I was in the room with was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like none of us. Saw, I had seen it only because I knew that painting well already. 
but yeah. my first time seeing that painting I didn't see that figure either and it was this game of like how well can I hide the figure that he plays because most of the time you look at his paintings you don't realize there's a figure there until like you actually sit down with it and go oh wait a second that shapes a person or something yeah. like that because they're so well hidden and I think that that's such a cool moment to be in a room full of like four people five people or whatever it was and be yeah. like oh there's the figure <laughs> yeah one of the, my favorite painters that i think that he does that in a uh, very very nice way it's uh we are mm -hmm. he does that with texture and he plays a lot with value and shape of things and he just uh mind it is just a mind blown like to see his art is one of the best things you can do even if it's in a computer i, I could imagine that experiencing uh his paintings one-on-one -on -one is really nice but uh this moment is all we have like the yeah <laughs> they have a fantastic one at the mat and i used to spend a lot of time there and now that I'm full-time in Philly, I don't spend much time there anymore. And yeah. I, I miss that painting, you know? Like I can look at it on the screen and I don't want to be um, critical too much of the screen because it's awesome that we can <laughs> do that at all, you know? And if you get into like really good reproductions, you can get like, 80% of what looking at a painting will do for you. Like I've fallen in love with people like Piero and Giotto and yeah, all these people. And I've never been to Italy, you know? So otherwise I would not have seen them at all, but in books or on the screen, you can really get a sense of, there's a Piero up in Massachusetts at the Clark, but other than that, they're all in Italy. And yeah. so like, the screen is so cool because despite our frustrations with it as artists, right, because we love the paintings, you know, and there's something about paintings that doesn't translate when you take a picture of it, especially if you just take a picture of it on your iPhone and put it on Instagram and then everyone is seeing it in like a two by two inch thing. Yeah, but... especially if it's a, <laughs> it's a fresco made on a wall, on a church, on a mm -hmm. space. Like it's really different like when you see it maybe on the toilet on your screen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, you're sitting on the toilet and you get to look at the great paintings of history, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You win one, you can lose another one. Yeah. Uh, well, well, let's talk about paintings of history because I, I know you're very conscious of like who you're sort of channeling right we've had a lot of conversations about people like Piero and Mirandi and I know yeah. you're big fans of them who else are you looking at and how do you look at them how do you take from them mm, like um uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm thinking, but uh, there is a Mexican painter which I would like to mention because I, I think that 
for me it's also important to, to speak of, of the people who, who had lived in the or in similar context as I have and his name is uh, Rufino Tamayo he's uh, he's really famous and well known by his uh, watermelons but uh, I think that the most important thing that he brought to to us as artists is like his engravings right now i've been doing a lot of etching uh, a lot of uh, monotypes i've been having a lot of fun doing that right now i haven't messed with it like a lot with figure and right now i'm trying to learn like the basics of um of inking of doing the best that I can with the materials because it has been like a little complicated. It has uh -huh. uh, a lot of technical complications, like working on the on the thing. I don't the know press. The, the press, yeah, the press. Yeah, working on the press. Do you have access in, to a good press? Yeah, right now I am working in two different studios, and uh, they give me materials to work and they have taught me a lot. Uh, I, I work with them in the way that they make, they allow me to produce and mm -hmm. they, sometimes they ask for me some things to do, like clean the, clean the space, help them with their production or something, some little stuff. But uh, Rufino Tamayo has uh, he, he was like in love with the monotypes. He was in love with the engraving and he, he worked in a lot of uh, workshops and he also did like his paper. He was also focused on, on the magic uh, of, the, of what the paper can bring to the, to the, to the piece or to the complete uh, uh, piece of art, if we name it like that. Can you talk uh, about that a little? Like what the paper can bring because that's I don't think that's a concept that the average person um, who's just like starting or even into like an art education will have come across that's an idea that like I think because of the people we've come in contact with we might have heard of but for the average person they're thinking about well I need to learn how to draw I need to learn sort of how to draw the figure maybe. But yeah. I don't think that people are going to talk to them about like appreciating the paper. So what does that mean for you? Well, uh, it has changed a lot what the paper means for me like this last year. But uh, when I, it was weird because when you soak the paper and when you saturate the paper in water, for me, I was like amazed, like you can leave the piece for maybe a day, you can leave the whole sheet of paper soaking in water and after that you dry it and then you print, you make the print or prints. But mm. I don't know, I, I've been amazed that this is a tool like invented before we, we even existed, your mother, your grandfather, like whew, a lot of years ago. And we still like use the same basic principles, which is like compressed uh, fibers of a plant. 
and uh, I don't know, it's uh, it's more complex of what we think. It also comes to my mind when I started like speaking with the printing master about the the the, the quality of blacks. Like mm -hmm. he told me like, oh, we have like eight blacks like you can buy and every black is different and i was like oh my god can you explain this for me and he started like telling me about uh the the oils the 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 quantity of pigments the i don't know the brightness of when when it dries uh how it dries but because it doesn't dry right it's it is oil and it mm -hmm. oxidates it yeah. doesn't have water in it, so you have to call it different, but we mortals call it <laughs> dry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I don't know, like paper is like the, 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 the base, the, the support of your whole thing. And uh, I've been trying to, to focus on like the textures of what I want. I've been trying to, to see to, to investigate more about how it how it is made and why it is made like that, but uh, uh, I've been trying to use local papers. For me, it has been important because uh, that way you can also speak of uh, your context in a way. Mm -hmm. And there's a relationship to place, right? Like yeah. if you're um, making paintings or etchings of a place and then you're using materials from that place there's sort of a harmonious relationship there and a locally sourced paper is going to have a very different feeling or a very different effect or maybe not very different but relatively different than say the mass produced sort of even if you get a really good mass produced paper even if you get like one of the best printmaking papers, it's still like sort of standardized yeah. um, for quality control reasons. They don't want to give you any bad stuff, but then you also end up getting this like, um, like the irregularities that come in a, like a locally produced thing, like a handmade paper that they're slightly different in every sheet. And so there's always a little bit of pushback, a little bit of surprise that comes from the way the material goes down, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, and also if it is not well made, what I try to do is like try to understand what it is that doesn't make it work good or, or feel good because maybe it works good, but doesn't pleases you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it's a different way of saying it. It's not like calling it failure, but, uh, making it part of your learning process, which is like really important or the most important thing for me, like learning when you are doing something, like experimenting, uh, trying different stuff. I don't know, this, uh, this year that I've been working a lot with uh, etching, it has uh, shown me like a, a, a different phase of, of the things that I do when I paint. Mm -hmm. And I guess for me, when I was etching, that was such a frustrating process because of like the disconnect between doing something and seeing it actually show up, right? 
when you're painting, you put down a color, you step back and you see, well, I know what it was before and I know what it is now. And there was a very immediate impact to like, I put that color down. When you're etching, it's like you make a mark and then you put it in the acid and then you take it out the acid and then you ink it and then you proof it. And oh, now I know what it is I just did, right? Yeah. But that, I guess I just never had the patience and that's why I liked woodcut so much. And that's how I do most of my printmaking because like, and monotype too, but like you make a mark and you see exactly what your hand did in the mm -hmm. instance that you're doing it. And how do you, how do you deal with that disconnect when you're etching, right? That, um, because I think of you as a very direct painter, right? You're someone who goes out and like, you don't underpaint and do glazes. You put the color that you want down and you can make a painting very quickly because of that. Um, so when you make an etching, how have you been able to deal with that delay of the gratification? Mm, yeah, uh, I, I've been trying to, to, uh, to be more patient with it. I've just like tried to change my way of seeing things because I think I also do the, the direct painting or the alla prima painting because for me it's fast and I like to see uh, like fast reflection of my actions. Mm -hmm. And it has changed my way of thinking a little bit more. It has like uh, given me time or or i don't know it, because i think that through making etchings my whole painting thing have changed a lot like i've been working on paintings for four so months the paintings have slowed down yeah yeah everything has slowed down because of the of my etching process that it forces you to slow down because you have to make the proofs you have to test mm -hmm. everything the, the inks like everything and the the that change of pace has made me uh see my work different so when you're making a painting now and you're yeah. slower mm -hmm. uh, does that mean more time on location more time in the studio a little bit of both but like what's the process of making a painting now if it's not i'm going to go out i'm going to make a painting i'm going to take it back like what if it's a longer process what does that process entail yeah more time with 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 an unfinished painting with an mm -hmm. unwanted baby uh, i i don't know it's really weird i just keep them and don't, don't show them or just keep them face down and uh, when I feel like uh, I have the strength, the strength to see it, I, I just like try to see it for a moment. I take a, 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 an hour, half an hour and observe what I like, what I don't like. I try to name it. Mm -hmm. I call it like, uh, I try to give them adjectives to, to what I feel, or to, to the things that I see reflected on, on, on me, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I try to put everything like in, in, in a word, like 
if I see something I say like weird, okay, what does weird mean? Uh, flat or maybe like fat or just weird adjectives. Mm -hmm. And I try to to see what what uh, if if that was what I wanted. Mm -hmm. If if it works as as I want it, because there is not. Uh, I don't. I don't know. When I teach, I, I I don't try to. I try to tell them that it, there is not a bad painting. I try to to tell them that that you should try to focus on what what you want mm -hmm. and try to, to achieve like your objective through 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 uh, the organization of the things that you are doing. To, to to the steps of what yeah. you're, uh, I think a bad painting is one that doesn't succeed in what it sets out to do, as opposed yeah. to like a painting that like I think there's a lot of maybe false um, ways of judge maybe not false but like ways of judging that don't work across the board. Like for some people, realism might be a good way to judge a painting, but I know it's not for me. So then it's like, how do I justify saying de Kooning is a brilliant painter and Mirandi is a brilliant painter and Titian, you know, because they all look so different. And wow. it, it's something like the painter wanted you to feel a certain thing and then they made a picture that made you feel that as opposed to, oh, well, these four things that every painting should have are in there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I absolutely agree that, that like, there are the, and there are things that I still don't understand, like truly in, in a way, I, I see Howard Hodgkin paintings, he's an abstract, mm -hmm. really good. The British guy, right? Yeah, the British guy, he does these marvelous two-stroke paintings, mm -hmm. which are like amazing. And they just move my emotions in ways other things doesn't, doesn't uh, make me feel. But uh, I don't know, I just try to be honest. I just try to, to, be, to, to be true to, to what I like to to say okay this this i like it because of this blah 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 i try to fundamentalize no, that's an invented word uh, i try to uh to 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 uh, to put it in words to see why i don't like it or why i like it mm -hmm. and i try to explore a little bit i like writing a lot i think that writing helps you understand things and uh, I don't know just maybe see a painting and tell me or try to write a paragraph or two of why you like that thing or why do you dislike it but just try to be honest with yourself and with people and there's something about painting that like obviously if it there wouldn't be a painting and writing this relationship has a strange thing because if you could write down everything that um you want in a painting yeah. or if you could make writing that felt the way 
you wanted the painting to feel, then you wouldn't need to paint the painting, right? There's mm -hmm. got to be something about the painting that sort of transcends what you can write because otherwise there's no point to make the painting. You should probably be a writer. But mm -hmm. on the same hand, there's something about writing that's very concrete. Um, Dennis was my guest last week and he was talking about before he starts a still life painting, he like writes down the sort of feelings and stories he wants to get at in the painting and he writes it all out. And if there's something that he can't get at in the writing, then he makes it, he makes a painting because mm -hmm. uh, that shows him that there's something there. But I just remember being in um, Ty's drawing class at Mount Gretna and he made us like write down what drawing meant to us. And I went yeah. back and I was like, oh, what the hell is this? Like, cause I wanted to draw, you know, I didn't want to write down what drawing was. And then I did it and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know? And my drawings like in the next day got a lot better because I had a clarity and like, this is what I actually want to be doing here as opposed to just like, oh, I don't know. I could do this or this or this. Um, and I think that uh, there's this like habit among painters of like complaining about artist statements, you know? So we all have to write them. None of us seem to like them. Um, the whole like the gallery wants one, so we have to do it. Uh, or my class is making me write it. And I actually found that I love writing artist statements because mm. they give me a chance to like hone in on, well, exactly what do I want to be doing here? And then I get to bring it back into the studio and look at the paintings. And I'm saying, oh, here's where I'm being hypocritical because I'm not doing the thing that I say I want to be doing. And then I repaint those passages. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's much better. You know, I think that writing has a real power for artists or just verbalization in general. Yeah, it helps you understand. I don't know if it helps you like get better at drawing skills, but for me, it helps me to enjoy a little bit more of what I do, like the mistakes that I, uh, well, that you as I, a person give to the drawing. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I, it improves your drawing skills. You're right there, but yeah, it does, yeah, yeah. it does like tell you where you want your drawings to be going. Like you can't yeah. get, you can't move farther along the direction if you don't know what direction you want to go in. True. You know, so like writing down, say like, oh, I'm going to make drawings that are about light. Well, then you know that you want your drawings to be about light and maybe atmosphere. And then you start making tonal drawings. But if you say in your artist statement that you want to make drawings about light, and then you look at all your drawings, and you've been working exclusively in line for the past five years. <laughs> yeah. Well, no wonder you're not getting any light in your drawings, right? There's a disconnect to that. And so then you have to think about it. Do I really want to be making drawings about light? And if I do, then maybe I should be doing that. And maybe you can already draw a figure brilliantly in line because you had a teacher who was very into that and made you learn to do it. And it's a pretty easy transition to go from 
like that to a more painterly tonal way of drawing, but you just sure. never did it because you didn't do the process of thinking how to go about that. And so that's, that's sort of my uh, sort of claim there is that you get better just because you get more purposeful and yeah. you have to re-examine where you're going and why you're going there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I went a different direction. I just understood, like, getting better, like, how can you get better with... <laughs> yeah, no, like, if you write an essay about Michelangelo, you'll be able to draw just like him. Makes perfect yeah. sense to me. <laughs> no, that, that, that's not what I was claiming. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I get why that would be confusing. Uh, but... <laughs> Well, all right. skipping back around to that, your drawings too. Well, let's talk a little bit about those because they're very, you have these very linear felt drawings that feel very playful. And then mm -hmm. you have these very tonal painting, not tonal, but like shape-based paintings, but they still like keep that playfulness. So I, I understand sort of what the comparison is. But they, they are like using very different modes of investigation. Now that you have this printmaking process, where is the printmaking process falling between like between the paintings and the drawings? And how are all three processes relating and informing each other? Uh, right now, like my drawing um, has changed a little bit because I need to plan a little bit more the, the, the etchings. It has mm -hmm made me think of changing processes and uh, I do like little thumbnails like little illustration thumbnails like just values mm -hmm. the one like no not one but two or three value uh, drawings and that's the only thing that it has changed I I have tried to keep my sketchbooks as a learning tool and just as a as an experimenting tool to, to get to know like the world and to understand things and to keep the anxiety down. I don't know how to, to explain it, but it, it has been like a, like, a, like, an, like a tool I have used for emotional purposes. I am really, I, I have a lot of anxiety and for me it's, really important to keep it low and I try to draw a lot. It helps me like even making calligraphy or just writing what I hear like as it comes and just trying to see things and stuff. I, I, I don't know, it, sometimes it has that like playfulness, but mm -hmm. it's also like, oh, oh like the, the flood of anxiety just pouring out of myself like, every i have a lot of sketchbooks that i finish and they're just like mumbling words and mumbling lines it's it's really weird i just try to to uh, sometimes to have fun and sometimes just to understand things or but understand things and consequently understand what i am feeling uh, in relation to the to the to the things that are happening for me 
not just drawing, but writing has been a tool of like, uh, I don't know if it's like social, the, it has helped me like socially to, to, to be with people. I don't, I am a little bit introvert. Mm-hmm. And when I am with people, I get a little bit anxious. I don't know the correct words. And also if it's in another language for me right now, mm-hmm. it's cool just talking to you. <laughs> But uh, there have been moments in which I just like block, block myself and zone off and turn my, my brain just goes blank. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I am drawing, it helps me like to 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 feel less uh, the the to feel the to feel lighter. I don't know how to explain it, but that's well. I think you're explaining it very beautifully, um, like. And there's definitely, I want to um, see if there's anywhere we can go deeper into that, because I think that that's not a, that's something that's very deeply personal, but in being personal gets at something very universal. Because yeah. I, I think that a lot of us can relate to sort of this idea that, um, drawing can do what meditation can do or prayer can do for certain people. Um, and I think I sound a little crazy to a lot of people who aren't artists No, no, no. <laughs> when I talk about sort of, um, I'm not a religious person, but this is the closest thing I have. Um, but is that, is that a fair assumption to like call drawing a sort of secular prayer in a way no i do believe in that and i also read a book about that uh it's called the zen of seeing the zen of seeing mm-hmm. uh, it's called uh, seeing drawing as meditation and it's this guy called frederick frank and he explains a little, little bit about what i, I think it I, I think that he read John Berger also and mm-hmm. he, he was related to what he what John Berger thinks mm-hmm. about like seeing and drawing and the act of just observing really well things. Uh, I don't know, it puts you for me, it puts you in a different state of mind and it helps you connect to, to things a, a different way or in a more abstract way, not in a very, uh, I don't know, it for me it changes my way of thinking and that moment of maybe uh, abstractness or I don't know how to call it or that little moment, it's just like a bliss. It's like, I, I, I can compare it to, to when I bike or when I run. It's a weird sensation, but your mind just goes to another place and you're like 
translating uh, form into line or form into this, <laughs> which is like un unnameable, right? And mm -hmm. you, you are after that when you draw, I think. Does the same thing happen for you in your other forms of art making or is it different? Is it drawing the one oh, that's wow. the most yeah. spiritual or is painting just as spiritual? Is etching just as spiritual? I, I think that my in 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 my experience uh, being at uh, Chivita with with JSS, they have taught they have taught me like the spiritual way of oh let me connect my computer shit sorry yeah no problem. Uh, being with the uh, with the JSS school, they they taught me a little bit of that. And when I went to Mount Gretna, I put it down and practice it. And right now, I've been feeling like that moment can re or relates to when I uh, draw. Right now, I don't find it in etching like. Right now, it's just a lot of struggle because you're learning, and when you mm -hmm. learn, your your mind is in a different place. And I I think that uh, uh, it takes time to to get to that comfort place in which it becomes something more than just work mm -hmm. or just the practice of the thing that you're making. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, sometimes I do feel comfortable when I paint, and sometimes I don't. It's really mm -hmm. weird. Sometimes I just do it like you got you got to get out of the bed, work, and do it because you got to pay bills and you have to do what it takes to survive. And sometimes I feel like like I feel it here, and I have the gods to go out, paint, and just paint the whole day. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think that they they relate to this sensation of meditating. But right now, I haven't found it in etching. I think that I have to, to develop a little bit more my techniques mm -hmm. and get a little bit more comfortable so I can do it like a little bit more automatic. Mm -hmm. To say, oh, I have to layer the paint this way. Uh, I have to layer the, I don't know. There is something though about the repetitiveness of printmaking that I find it's a different kind of meditation. Like, yeah. but it, it feels very like, make a print, all right. Take it <laughs> yeah. out, like after you run it through the press, then you take it out and then you clean it and then you re-ink it. And then you put it back in and then you make a put and then that repetition sort of like becomes automatic and it mm -hmm. sort of grounds you in a certain way but it lets you go someplace else at the same time you know because you're you're making the thing but you're it's not like painting or drawing anymore because you've already done all the like parts that are gonna fight you you know yeah. like 
there's nothing in the printmaking process once you've made your plate where you're gonna go like god damn it i don't know how to do this anymore like it becomes <laughs> a very like all right you you have to do it well every time you have to like yeah. make sure the plate is well inked but as, it's not like you're going to struggle to figure out how to ink the plate it's like this very you have to be there and be present but you can also sort of be sort of in another world and i i find that that's something really fun about printmaking is sort of that process when you've already done the work and now you just get to like turn them out but let's let's go back a little and let's talk about the jss because what was that experience for you as someone for personally who's never gone but has been watching people come out of there for years and going damn they're great yeah well i was there like six years ago i think it was 2015 i was studying in french i was a year abroad in um in France, in Grenoble, it was, I suppose when I was there, or when I took the decision of going there, I suppose it was like the best decision I could do in my life because it was like focused on design and everything, but uh -uh, their school was focused on contemporary art and it wasn't focused on drawing, which is what I wanted and what I liked. Mm -hmm. I had a few teachers that focused on painting, but not really on technique or on mastering the the skill they were like more focused on understanding like the whole artsy things uh -huh. which is not what i wanted and when for, just to clarify though when we're talking yeah. about skill we're talking about a much broader definition of skill i think skill gets thrown around nowadays to mean like how well can you put the highlights on the eye so that it looks real? And when we're talking about skill here, we're not just talking about that, we're talking about that, but also how do you design the picture? How do you mix a yeah. good color? How do you get relationships in the whole thing? How do you get value to work? And huh. so skill is a very broad term. And anyway, I just wanted to put that in there, but I want you to go back to sort of what you were saying. When I speak of skill, for me, it's like composing skills. Mm -hmm. Like how do you manage to put the tones, the, the, the forms, and how do you uh, think? For me, mm -hmm. it's like, uh, I wanted to, to learn that in the school. I thought it was focused on that, but wasn't. And uh, I don't know, I think it was Catherine Kehoe or I, I, I don't know if I'm saying it. That, so, that's right. That's how you say her name. Uh, she shared something about the JSS school and I was like, oh my God, that's a beautiful painting. And I was, and I started making some investigation of the painters that went there and I was like relating like everything. And it seemed like it was the right place to go to. Uh -huh. I, I sent my application and um i joined the master class program like the summer program mm -hmm. at jss in chivita and uh, it was really weird because like the first day i didn't know what i had to do or like i was like just lost in in the town mm -hmm. because <laughs> because i don't know we you just arrive and you're like oh 
you have to pay. I mean, and like the whole thing comes like when you get to the critiques and you, that's what I understood. Like uh, everything happens when, when you get to see and you get to hear the, the, the critiques of the other people. I don't know, for me, for me, school was really different because also in Mexico, uh, my professors, my teachers were really absent and I had to learn by myself. Uh, I was never in school. I just was at home working. I tried to uh, get away. Like, I didn't like my school. The teachers were just trying to hit on girls and not teach. I don't know. I, I just wanted to learn something and they don't know how to teach. I was like really anxious about that. And I just spoke to them and tell, like tell them like, uh, what do I have to do to not be here and get a good grade because I want to uh, pass. You, in Mexico, uh -huh. you can like have really good grades and you can just not make any exam or something like it. It's called like excellent academic excellence. Huh. Uh, so I thought of getting away with that. Is that um, sort of like an independent study type thing here in the States? Um, I, I don't know. I don't really know if that compares to, but the thing is that you have like really good grades, like mm -hmm. excellent grades, and you don't have to make any thesis or any exam oh, okay. or anything to graduate you just were like excellent you were on time you were there and I spoke to my teachers I what can I do to get to this point without being here and they just told me like oh just bring this this and that and you can get get away with it <laughs> so you're in that school and you're not learning anything from your teachers. They are all just there to hit on girls and pay the bills. Um, yeah. What What do you, how do you learn to paint that? Um, yeah. Like, what are you going to the library? Are you reading a lot? Are you watching YouTube videos? Like, where does your education come from? Yeah, it, it was a lot of things, but like really pretty important. It was like one, one of my best friends. Uh, he introduced me to a lot of things, to, to a lot of uh, 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 to a lot of uh, books, to a lot of painters. I don't know. He was, he's really good at painting, and he just know how how to do it. Also, I went to a, to an illustration program called in in Kansas. It, it's called the the illustration academy. I went there for a summer, like 2012, and it really like helped me change my way of thinking about the the production of the object of art. To not see it like an, as a spiritual thing or something like it. To see it as an as a design, as a thing, as a composition, a little bit more than something like uh something mystical because there is a lot of mystic things in in art uh -huh. you know you know right yeah uh the illustration academy 
and maybe this program that I took in um, in uh, Chivita Castellana. I, I think those were like the main things that changed my way of seeing things, and those were like the main things of that have helped me to get around with what I do and to 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 feel more in peace with myself because there are like really uh, great teachers in the way that they teach you not just how to paint, but live. Mm -hmm. And so that's of painting. Israel Hirschberg, Yael Scalia. Yeah. Um, you did I had as a visitor guest or mm -hmm. as a guest, it was Anne Gale, which she's amazing. She's uh, uh, really nice people. So what was uh, the really lessons? Nice like lady. what are some of, if you could verbalize them, what would be some of the big takeaways from that program besides just like design, which we've already said four or five times or is yeah, very yeah, yeah. important, but like, if if you want to say like, these are the things I learned while yeah. I was there, what would those things be? Is the little word big? Yeah, they they. Uh, I think that they. Uh, when I was there, I read Hawthorne on painting, and they teach a little bit of what he teaches. Mm -hmm. I think they were friends, maybe. <laughs> but I don't know, like some of the things that they told me a lot is like paint unnameable colors, which is like a really cool thing. When all the grays start relating to each other and they started to make these weird vibrating things, it's like when you are really painting color mm -hmm. for, for, me, for me. So that would know. be like, um, instead of saying, oh, the sky is blue, trying to yeah. say something like, oh, the sky is gray, blue, green, red combination yeah. of like yeah. this strange chromatic gray. D is that sort of what you mean by paint unnameable colors? Yeah, uh, let me see. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean that, or I think they meant that. Also, I think like, to, to focus on the structure of the painting, on the tonal structure of the painting, which is like the most important thing of all. Mm -hmm. Like when you put your image in black and white, that's what everyone will see. And that's mm -hmm. what everyone will get uh, like the fastest. Mm -hmm. And that's the first lecture and the most important lecture that you will give to, to, the, to the painting or the object you're doing, even if it's an illustration. And they kind of, in, in Kansas, in the illustration program, they taught you like little recipes, which could work, but it makes like very, very um, monotonous work, I think. Mm -hmm. It's not surprising at all. Like it, it's the same over and over and over again. It is surprising. It's like Pixar. Mm -hmm. It's like a Pixar recipe, which it's like, oh, wow. You get like colors and they're where they have to be. Mm -hmm. But you know, it will be the same every time. Mm -hmm. And because it's a recipe. Yeah. Even if you're 
changing the range of the tonal structure of the painting, mm -hmm. it is the same recipe. So what would those but, recipes look like? Would that be like silhouetting a dark figure against a bright background or? No, it, it is like, if I remember it well, they, they use like this metaphor of the three bears. It's like Papa bear, Mama bear, and little bear, right? Papa bear is the biggest one. Like the, the tones, if you divide them in three, they don't, mm -hmm. have, they don't have to be like in the same quantities because if they are in the same quantities, it will be boring, right? Mm -hmm. So if, you are, if your darkest value is Papa bear, Papa bear will be everywhere or almost everywhere. Then mama bear, you can put either gray or white, and then little bear, which is just like a pew. That's okay, how. so yeah. it, it's like making sure that your image is mostly one value, and then have like the, the focal point, to yeah, use that word, and then say like, this is the important stuff, and then everything else sort of goes into the background or goes into this larger grouping and falls away. Yeah, if you see Howard Pyle, it's mm -hmm. always the same recipe. Yeah. They they try to, uh, I think that they have tried to put down in words or in in a different way, like the things they saw, and that's a very practical way of seeing it. It's a very fast way to understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think it works. It yeah. really works. It definitely does. but. I'm interested. I think that those things are very helpful to understand. But then I think you want to be open to like, how can I make it work without like, I think yeah. the reason I love Mirandi so much is he says, how can I make a composition that's a brilliant composition, but does none of the things that you would say, like, this is how you make a good composition. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you you literally do the opposite of those things sometimes. It's like, yeah. how about I just put a bunch of objects in the middle, in the absolute middle, and just leave the sides empty, and then that'll be my composition, and they're all in the same plane, and I'm still going to make a good composition. And somehow he pulls it off, you know? And there, so is I, a lens, sorry, th there is a landscape which I cannot forget is... Half of one third of the picture is a wall. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that landscape. And then through, through through the wall, you see like some little buildings and maybe on the middle ground, you see like some trees mm -hmm. and you are like, oh my God. That's a brilliant Mirandi painting. I copied that last year actually from reproduction. Oh. I, I don't, I haven't seen it in person, but yeah. He, He's so great with those, but I think it's that that's maybe one of the differences between, say, like the fine art and the illustration approach is the fine art has more permission to fall on its face in a way. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. the illustrators, you have a deadline, you have to make something that's good, you know? And so if you're training as an illustrator, you learn how to make very good things 98% of the time. And I think if you're training as a painter, you're encouraged more often to make things that are like 50% of the time awful, but 
maybe 10% of the time, absolutely brilliant. And you're sort of led to be more distrustful of something that's just good because maybe that means you're complacent or you're whatever. Um, and I, I don't know that that's true because there are some brilliant people who make like consistently good work. But I think mm -hmm. that the permission to like fall on your face is probably something that painters experience that illustrators probably don't as much because you have a client. And if 90% of the time, you're telling your clients, oh, I fell flat on my face. Here's the terrible thing. And then 10% of the time you're saying, here's the best illustration you've ever seen. Probably you're not going to pay your bills because if only 10% of your clients are happy, that's not a good thing. But in a painter, you just, you only show the 10%, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that sometimes, well, for me, I think it works different for, for every person, but I have like the work that I do for me or the, the work that, that, that I do to experiment, the work that I do like to follow my gut. Mm -hmm. And I have also like the, the work that I do for paying bills or the work mm -hmm. that I have to do uh, to, to, yeah, to, to live. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, uh, I don't know, it, it is cool. It is like, I feel good about painting and doing a little bit uh, painting for living, but sometimes it gets weird because supposedly it's like the thing you like to do the most but not really every well, day. everything when you have to make a living the pressure gets yeah. to be like professional athletes too you think oh they play soccer for a living they must be having a great time and it's like no probably no. sometimes like i'm sure they still love it but you think when they're in the weight room they're thinking about oh I'm so lucky I get to play soccer for, no, they're thinking this weight is heavy. <laughs> I don't like this. My entire body hurts right now, you know? And so, but they're still like, they're still doing the thing they love, but it's the pressure of making a living and being great at something. It, it takes its toll no matter what. Yeah, it takes its toll. It takes like the the spark mm -hmm. but but there is also for me there is also like a curiosity thing to keep things going and to keep mm -hmm. things things like just rolling and to see how long i can like do do it do this mm -hmm. for me it's like about curiosity if like you just run out of curiosity i think your life runs out of spark like of color of you easily you can go to work to an office like and do photocopies all day <laughs> curiosity and so uh, what is it know. what is it that makes it different like 
when you're working to pay the bills versus yeah. when you're working for you, when you're chasing those things that make you curious. What is, what is different about the work that pays the bills? Yeah. And I, go ahead. Uh, uh, I think that in my case, the, the work that gives me the money to live, it's uh, like the portrait commissions mostly, mm -hmm. and yeah. sometimes teaching. I do teaching whenever I feel that I am running out of money and I have to like get, uh, well, yeah, well, when I don't have like any money to live or I want to do something like go to Mount Grade now or save money to do something, mm -hmm. I, I start teaching and uh, that, that's a way, but I think that um, right now I've been trying to, to, to be more curious about the, the portraits. I, I've been like just inviting people, like random people, like if I see a beautiful face, even if it's just like an old guy, like I try to invite him to my studio and tell him like, I wanna make a portrait of you I don't know why your face is appealing to me, but I just want mm -hmm. to do that. And if they say, yes, it's cool. I am absolutely open to hearing a no. Mm -hmm. I've heard like good, um, I've had good experiences, but uh, I don't know. I, I try to, 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 even if it's like the work that pays the bills, I've been trying mm -hmm. to, to keep it rolling and to keep Keep it moving because it gets boring even uh -huh. if you're painting and supposedly painting is what you like. Well, there's so. something about them that's changed in the past year. And you used to sort of like, oh, white background, paint the figure. Right? Yeah. And, and I think that now a lot of them are starting to like, they're starting to be placed in an environment you did like the guy in the car, or the girl with the dog and stuff like that. And they're yeah. also, um, they're starting to feel a little bit more like they have some of what you put into your landscapes and your still lives. Like, okay, they have a little bit more of that, like, here's the design and here's what it felt like to look at this person in the space. And as opposed to just like, here's the head. Right, it, they, they're becoming more complete in certain ways. Yeah. Is that sort of what you're talking about, about like chasing that curiosity into the work that pays the bills? Yeah, it's weird because this project, I've worked, uh, I've worked in this project for about like seven years. I started doing that at school. Mm -hmm. It was like my acrylic class project. And uh, people started like asking me if they could be part of the project. And I was, yeah, like we can do a, a portrait of you and blah, blah, blah. It started growing. And right now it's like the, the like my main project here in Guadalajara. And uh, I don't know, it's just like relationships people, like trying to get through things. Sometimes they get a little bit more monotonous mm -hmm. and like, uh boring but right now i've encountered uh ways to 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 see it like a little bit more fun or maybe just 
uh, experiment or just question things differently? Because I think that you're always questioning things, even if you're just doing, when you decide to take an action, you have decided to not do something else. And I don't know, you just, sometimes you do it automatically, but right now I've been do it, doing it a little bit more consciously. Like, ah, maybe I want this guy from the back. I don't know why, but I will just do it. It's my God. And maybe that's the right thing. Maybe it is not, but I don't know. I've been trying to hear myself a little bit more uh, and ignore what people like. This is a project that people have supported. Not, I don't know how to explain it, but they have supported it because I am doing it and maybe they want to see what I am mm -hmm. or what I can give them to them, give, give to them. So I thought like, okay, let's give them pull me. <laughs> yeah, like try like trying to repay that faith. I've, I've only done a few commissioned works and I think that they were incredibly stressful for me because yeah. it's one thing to say, oh, I'm going to make a painting and then if someone likes it, they can buy it. But it's another thing to like get some money and then be like, oh, they trusted me to make a painting just like, just to make a painting. They, they just had so much faith in me that they're like, here's some money, go make a painting before they saw it and they don't know if they're gonna like it or not, you know? And then I think that's the reason I don't do it that much is cause like if the pressure that it put on me was like, oh, you gotta, you gotta really make something that they're gonna like. And I wanna be making something that I'm gonna like, not that they're gonna like, cause my personal, yeah. but uh, I, it, it's a hard thing to do <laughs> for sure. Cause there's this real like pressure that gets put on you when you're painting a commission. It's like the, the needs of, and this is why I don't think I could be an illustrator either, but like the needs of the client and the deadline and all this start to compete with the needs of the work. And yep. somehow it feels like you're starting to be very true to the needs of the work in spite of the fact that it's a commission. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I think is very hard to find. Yeah, I, uh, like the last year, maybe I've tried to be braver if that works for this case, but I've tried to be more true to myself that has been something that I've worked like in my personal relationships. Uh -huh. Also, I think it also reflects on the work that I am doing, but I've been trying to be like, well, I am this thing. I cannot change myself or maybe uh -huh. if I can, it will take time. So this is what you have. This is... <laughs> You can deal with it. it. <laughs> deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's a little bit like, oh yeah, I'm an artist. I do what I want, but no, but you have to be. You, you we, can't. we have to be brave. Mm -hmm. we, we, we. I don't know. It's 
you, if you believe in yourself, it's like the most important thing. If you believe in yourself, maybe one people will believe in you and then like a snowball, uh, another one and then three and then like six and then, and maybe more people will believe in your project. Mm -hmm. uh, it starts from yourself, I think. And I think that that's the most important part too, you know, yeah. because even if 500 people or 5,000 or 500,000 people believe in it and you don't and you're sitting in the studio making work, it's not going to be great because yeah. you're going to not believe in it. Um, whereas if nobody but you believes in it, I mean, yeah, that's I, how we got Pollock. That's how we got <laughs> de Kooning. That's how we that's how we got so many of our great artists. Yeah, I, I love I, I love to watch also a lot of uh, outsider art. Mm -hmm. There is this guy called Henry Darger, which he lived uh, in Chicago. And he, I think he truly believed in himself. He had this life in which he was like, he had a very, very mundane work. But when he went back to his house, he started doing all these paintings about girls, all these stories. And he just was doing that for, his, for himself. And I think that's one of the most important lessons that I get from this kind of artist. Like, even if no one believed in them, in them uh, they were doing it because they felt it was the correct decision mm -hmm. or maybe not just the correct decision. They were doing it because they felt like it. Yeah, there's something about like those James Castle drawings, you know? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they have nothing to do with what's going to get likes on Instagram or what the market wants or anything like that. It's just the most personal stuff you could possibly think of. Yeah, and right now he's like an amazing guy. <laughs> well, I admire him a lot. I don't know mm -hmm. if a lot of people think he's amazing, but he's amazing. He is. <laughs> Yeah, but I really admire those artists which thrive on nothing but themselves and they just do it. I think that that's a, a very, very important lesson. Have you had any trouble like think, thinking about thriving purely on yourself? Do you have any trouble sort of competing with, say, lessons you've received from teachers or just I mean we both are of the generation that has to deal or doesn't have to I guess but does deal with all the like craziness of Instagram for artists you know and so do you feel like you have to actively silence those voices and those pressures or do they just not affect you yeah uh sadly i do have to hear them because i live from what people mm -hmm. buy and what's on the trend or yeah or what's hit what's in what's not but, but your work doesn't feel like i see all the time people who are doing like they're doing work that feels desperate for 
that yells sort of like, buy me, please, please buy me. And, and your work doesn't feel like that at all. You know, it doesn't feel like it's made for the algorithm or the market. It feels like it yeah. comes from a very personal place. So in that being in that position where you only live if people get behind the work, or at least you only live off the work if people get behind it. I guess you could go to like a grocery store and get a job as like a cashier, but that's not yeah. what either of us want to be doing. So I, how do you balance those competing urges? I, um, I don't know. I think I just work a lot to, to have time to, to do something for them and something for me and just, like crank it, I wake up really early, do my stuff, do what I need, and and uh, <laughs> get things done. Yeah, for me that's important, but just work and just do do, do your stuff and just like try to be open doing this. <laughs> like try uh, to focus on your work, but try to 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 yeah. see where you're going and just just for the people listening yeah, you're uh, mimicked putting on horse blinders uh -huh. oh, oh they're, they, not they, seeing they, they're not gonna see you they're just gonna yeah uh, are you, you horse blinders yeah and observe to like be observant and be uh try to hear also like sometimes i i i was speaking to, to a artist friend he he sings and he he told me like you can get good things from the shit that people throw to you mm -hmm. and maybe try to hear them sometimes not every time he i don't know he's intelligent i think he's intelligent i think he has uh, made a good career he he lives from his singing and he's a cool guy I, I think that even if you uh, you are on the market and you're out there uh, you can be a nice people you, and you can uh -huh. treat people well uh, I don't know but yeah I try to uh, to always be working to always uh, try to to experiment i try to uh, be curious that's is that sort goal. of your thesis for like if we have to say there's one takeaway is it be curious yeah yeah <laughs> yeah curious and just do it yeah don't don't i think that a lot of times we doubt in ourselves it's good doubting in ourselves, but not a lot. Uh, yeah, uh, be critical, but also try to uh, to experience things before talking. An engineer who is a friend of mine, he's always like, have you tried this? So, and I was like, oh no. So why are you telling me this? And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Maybe I do have to try it. I have to be more conscious about the things that I am speaking of. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, it's, 
thank you so much for doing this, man. I can't even imagine if you called me up and asked me to come talk for an hour and a half in Spanish that <laughs> we would have had anywhere near as awesome a conversation. So oh, thank you for your openness and your willingness to hop on. And uh, the paintings look great. And I'm sure that whoever listens to this is really appreciative of your honesty and your um, sort of bluntness in talking about everything. So thank you. I just want to add one thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah. For me, like one, the, one of the more, most important things that I repeat to myself is be honest. Mm -hmm. Even if it's something like hard to, to, uh, to deal with, you will get passed by it. Uh, also in, in like the profession of painting, just try to be honest with yourself because sometimes we try to, to twist our necks and to see things differently. And we're like, oh, it looks kind of well, but it's not really working. Mm -hmm. not, I, I always tell my students, like they start to twist their necks and their heads like this. And they're like, uh, if you see it like this, it's better. Yeah, but I say like, it's not really working. Be mm -hmm. honest, change the shapes, change the tone. Uh, I don't know. It's just a little bit of more work, but it will look nicer. It will be mm -hmm. better. At, and so persistence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Persistence too. Well, that's it. All right. <laughs> well, thanks. It it's been a great talk, and I'm really glad you were able to do this. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad we had time to talk about art and painting and things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you soon.